0: The book of Ephesians. Actually, my intent originally when uh, I was asked to teach this morning was to give you a slideshow. I was going to do a little slideshow on Israel. I figured there would be a group there. It might be interesting to go over some of the sites in Israel, talk about them. But then last week, Spencer Nickel, when he was teaching, he was teaching on the Word, sort of giving us an apologetic for the Word of God, why it is so important. For us coming out of the story to continue that momentum and stay in the Word of God and allow the Word of God, uh, as it says in in Hebrews 4, to be living and alive, sharper than any two-edged sword, dividing asunder the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, being a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And it just sort of inspired me and it shifted my focus on to Ephesians. What we're going to talk about this morning is, is not the Bible, but the sort of the next step. What the Bible is here to, to tell us about. And that specifically is who we are in Christ. Who each one of us here this morning who is a believer in Jesus Christ. What it means to be in Christ. Ephesians and, and Colossians, two books that Paul wrote, both speak very Uh, profoundly about the concept of being in Christ. In in Romans chapter 5, Paul gives us the contrast between being in Adam or being in Christ. And here in Ephesians chapter 1, we're going to go through hopefully the whole chapter this morning, uh, Paul talks about being in Christ and the many blessings, the riches really that each of us possess in Christ. And I want you to know about that, because so often as Christians, we, we sort of reverse uh, the experience, and we put the action ahead of the placement. That is to say, we try to do things rather than understanding who we are. And We'll talk about that a little bit more as we get into this. So, beginning in verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. Paul had no doubt about his calling. On the road to Damascus, he encountered Christ, a brilliant light shone from heaven. Paul was blinded, and Paul was called out to be an apostle by God's will. And Paul writes to the saints who are in Ephesus and the faithful in Christ Jesus, "'Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.'" Grace to you and peace. It's it's sort of a typical greeting that Paul gives, but it's such an important thought. And I want you to to just contemplate this for a moment. Paul is saying that peace comes after grace. Too often we develop a performance-oriented theology. In other words, to be accepted by God or to be uh, beloved by God, we have to do things to impress Him or to please Him. And nothing could be further from the truth. God's grace, God's blessing, God's free gifting to us comes before peace. And it's because of that gifting and that grace that we're able to do the things that God calls us to do. Ephesians is an interesting book. It's six chapters, and it's broken into two sections. The first three chapters, Paul talks about who we are in Christ, the extravagant riches that we have been blessed with through our relationship with Christ in those first three chapters. And then in the last three chapters, Paul then begins to talk about, because of that blessing, because of how God has placed us in His Son, how we then ought to live. Warren Wearsby says that what we inherit by faith, we invest by works. And that's really true. We walk in the light. We walk in love. We walk circumspectly all because... God has blessed us in Christ. So grace comes first. We need to develop and maintain a grace-based theology, an understanding of God's relationship with us. God doesn't love you because you do well. God loves you because God is love. And we'll see that in the blessings here in chapter 1 that Paul talks about. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ? Amazing verse. I'm going to reread it. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us, that's everyone here, with every spiritual blessing that is inclusive. Every possible blessing that you could receive as a Christian, you possess in the heavenly places in Christ. So where are the blessings? They're in the heavenly places. Where are the blessings? They are in Christ. That's where the the goodness of God is experienced, is being in Christ. Now, we have to make a decision as believers. Are we going to take our focus and place it upon heavenly issues, or are we going to place them on earthly issues? Because all of our blessings are spiritual and they are in the heavenly places in Christ. You know, Kenny Chesney had a song here not too long ago. He said, everybody wants to go to heaven, but no one wants to go right now. I thought that was a good lyric. I mean, we all do want to go to heaven, but I don't think anyone here this morning probably would volunteer to be the first to go today. And yet, the reality is our blessings exist there in Christ in the heavenly places. And we're going to go through and see what some of these blessings are. But I want you to think about, if you read through Hebrews chapter 11, it's often called the Hall of Faith. It goes through and chronicles different people from the Old Testament who suffered and endured incredible, uh, incredibly difficult circumstances because they looked for a promise that they had yet not experienced. They were looking for a land that they had not yet come to. And I think that's got to be true of us as well. Jesus said in a couple of different places in the gospel, he said, what does it profit a man if he should gain the entire world and yet forfeit his soul? Stop and think about that this morning. This morning, would you forfeit heaven for Bill Gates' billions? There are people in the world probably who who would do that. And in fact, if they would not say that they would do that, by their actions, they are conveying that they would. Because their focus is more on temporal issues rather than eternal issues. Jesus said, don't lay up for yourselves treasures here on earth where rust corrupts and moths destroy. He said, rather, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where they cannot be taken away. He said, for where your treasure is, there is your heart also. So understand that your blessings are spiritual blessings in Christ, in the heavenly places. Be like those saints in the Old Testament in Hebrews chapter 11 who kept looking for that promise that God had for them. Yeah, this world is wonderful in many respects. There are a lot of good things that we can experience through our lives in this world. But this world is not our destination. Seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, all these other things will be added unto you. Now we're going to go through a litany here of blessings that we have in Christ. And you'll see, going through verse 3 through verse 14, um, that it's in three different sections. The first section is what has been planned for or promised by God the Father. The second section is what has been purchased by God Jesus, the Son. And then the final section, what is presented to us by the Holy Spirit. And each section concludes to the praise of His glory. So beginning in verse 4, it says, Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before Him in love. So there's the first blessing. The sovereignty of God in electing us to be holy and without blame before him in love. Now, election is one of those doctrines that people get all uptight about, confused by. There's been divisions throughout history over this concept. Five-point Calvinists will tell you that some people are elected to heaven and some people are elected to hell. And it doesn't really matter what you do. You're headed for your destination because of God's election. Well, I'm not a five-point Calvinist. And that's not what I believe, nor do I believe it's what the Scriptures teach. Very clearly, God intended for all of his creation in Adam to be with him, to have unfettered fellowship. You know, that was one of the beautiful things in that passage in Genesis where it talked about Adam and Eve walking through the garden in the cool of the day with the Lord, having that beautiful fellowship and relationship with God. That's what he intended for mankind. He did not intend any to perish. In fact, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, it said it's God's desire that all should be saved and come to the knowledge of Him. So that's God's purpose, is that all should be saved and come to that place of relationship with Him. So we are elected, every one of us is elected, to come to that place. God's desire is that each person comes into relationship with Him and is saved. But not every person will make that choice. And that's one of the complicating factors about election is that God also has given us free choice. In the garden, He said to Adam and Eve, you may eat of any tree in the garden except for what? The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Which, of course, we know the story. They both ate Their eyes were open, they realized they were naked, and they had severed relationship with God. So God has chosen us in His sovereignty, in His omnipotence and omniscience, to be with Him. That's His desire. But we have a choice to make. John 3.16 God so loved the world, that whomsoever, that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever should believe on him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. Whomsoever means exactly that. Whomsoever should believe on him. So there is the option for us to take hold of his election and come into relationship with him. Now, there's an interesting passage. Actually, it's uh, throughout the entire Bible from Old Testament to New Testament, but it sort of comes to its culmination in Revelation chapter 19. At the great white throne judgment, It says there are many books that are brought to that uh, judgment throne. And the books are open. And one of the books is called the Book of Life. And whose ever name is written in the Book of Life has everlasting life. But if their name is not written in the Book of Life, they experience judgment there at the great white throne judgment. And throughout scriptures, going back to Moses and through Revelation chapter 3, it talks about the possibility of having your name blotted out of the book of life. And when your name gets blotted out of the book of life, it's only because you chose that. Because you decided you did not want a relationship with God. You preferred to go another path. That's how your name gets blotted out. But it's in there to begin with. God has elected all to be holy and blameless before Him. But we can choose to go another path. But if we choose Christ, if we choose the pathway of life, and light, then in verse 5 we see that we are predestined to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. So predestination is essentially a determination that there will be a preferred outcome from this election. The people that choose God will ultimately end up in a certain place. And in predestination, there's three different things that it talks about in the scriptures that we are predestined to as believers. One, is to adoption as sons. Two is to being conformed to the image of Christ. It says in Romans chapter 8 that all things work together for good to those who are the called, to those who love God, according to His purpose. And those whom He called, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that he might be the firstborn of many brethren. So we're predestined to be conformed to his image. And we'll see in verse 11 that we're also predestined to receive an inheritance from God. A a full-blown inheritance as sons. In fact, that's what the term here, adoption, is really talking about. If you read Galatians 4, 1 through 7, what you'll see is adoption is all about procuring the full benefits of sonship. In the Roman world, You might be the biological son of someone who had much possessions and was going to give those possessions to you. But you were not any different than a slave until the time that you reached adulthood and became uh, a beneficiary of the full benefits of sonship. That's what it's talking about here, that the adoption that we have received It has been conferred upon each one of us to receive the full benefits and the full blessings of sons to the praise of the glory of His grace by which He has made us accepted or literally in the Greek there the word means embraced in the beloved. Of course, the beloved is Jesus Christ. And in Him, that is in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood. So redemption is another spiritual blessing, another riches that we have received. Redemption, it's an interesting concept. Of course, slavery was common in the Roman world. It was, it was not unusual at all for a household to hold many slaves. And there were markets where the slaves were traded, bought, and sold. But you could, if you decided you wanted to, purchase a slave and pay a redemption price and free them from their slavery. And that's what it's talking about here when it talks about redemption. It's talking about paying the redemption price. Christ paid that price for us by shedding His blood on the cross of Calvary. So we are redeemed from the law, from sin, from the power of Satan by the blood of Christ. We have been removed from the slave market and brought into the household and made sons through adoption. The forgiveness of sins Another spiritual blessing. Important concept to think about, and it's important for us to understand what forgiveness of sins really is about as Christians. It says in Psalm 103 that our sins have been removed from us as far as the East is from the West. Now, on the globe, there is no point that the East and the West finally achieve There's a North Pole and there's a South Pole, but the East and West have no such such characteristic. So as far as from the East, East is from the West, that's as far away as you can possibly get. It's never-ending. And in Micah 7.19, it says that our sins have been pushed into the depths of the sea in the farthest, remotest places that the writer could imagine. And Jeremiah wrote that quoting God in thirty-one, thirty-four, that your sins I will remember no more. Now, I'm bringing this up for you because I know how difficult it has been for me as a Christian, walking, because I blow it all the time. My wife can tell you that. She could give you specific examples. But it's true. I've been a Christian 32 years, and while I have grown in the Lord, I still struggle at times with sin. And yet, this truth keeps me on the path. Because I know that every sin I commit, every sin I have committed, every sin I ever will commit has been put into that sea of forgetfulness. It's been removed as far as the east is from the west. He will remember them no more. Because I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, who intercedes on my behalf. So when you blow it, and Satan is saying, look, he's the accuser of the brethren, that's what he does, look, look what Greg did, look how he fell once again. Jesus is there at the right hand of the father saying, "What sin? It's covered by my blood." That's a great possession for us to have. It's a great rich, rich riches because we so easily stumble and when we stumble so often Satan takes a hold of our minds and gets us off the path. Gets us discouraged and struggling, "Oh, you did it again." How could you screw up? You've done that so many times before. It's like Mark said in the song. A thousand times really isn't enough to describe how many times God has mercy on each of us. Forgiveness is an accounting term here in the Greek. And literally what it means is the slate has been wiped clean. There's nothing on it. Each one of us possesses that in Christ according to the riches of His grace which he has made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, which to his good pleasure, which he purposed to himself. Jesus in John 15 told the disciples, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Because a master doesn't let his servant know what he's doing. He just doesn't, tells the servant what to do. But Jesus said to his disciples, but I've let you know everything that the Father has shown to me. And I've shared it with you. So I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And here, Paul is reiterating that, saying that he has made known to us the mystery of his will. That is that he's going to pour out upon each of us all of these incredible blessings, all of this great riches in Christ. And that was his intent from before the foundation of the earth. That in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth in him. That's the revealed mystery. That in Christ exist the blessings, in Christ exist the riches, in Christ exists the relationship that we have. Where he is seated in the heavenly places at the right hand of God, it says in verse 20. But in chapter 2, verse 6, it says the very same thing about us, that he has raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, See, do you get how you have to begin to shift your mind? How you have to focus your thinking away from the temporal, from the earthly, and focus on the heavenly and the eternal so that you can have that successful walk that Paul talks about in chapters 4, 5, and 6, so that you can walk in holiness and in the light and in love and circumspectly. You can't do that unless you understand you're forgiven, the slate's wiped clean. You understand you're redeemed from the slave market of sin. Until you understand that you have been adopted and given full blessing and full um, place as a son. In whom, that is in Christ, verse 11, Also, we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. So we have an inheritance in Christ. All of the riches that Christ possesses, they are turned over to us as His brothers and as a son of the Father. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. So we hear the gospel, we have it preached to us that Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He died a sinner's death on a cross in our place, assuming upon himself all the sins of the world. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The simple answer to that is because of Greg's sin. Because of your sin. Because it was upon him. For those three hours that the earth became dark, sin was upon Christ. And he took it upon himself. But then he rose again from the third, on the third day, from the dead, to life everlasting. That's the gospel of our salvation. We believed that. We heard the word of truth. And having believed, it says, that we were then sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. Now, this term sealed is an interesting. It's, it's essentially what would happen... In a variety of settings where someone who was an owner or a possessor or someone who was in a position of power would take their signet ring, and they would take a piece of wax and they would put their signet ring into the wax and that would be their seal, their mark. And it would indicate that they were owners of whatever was in the package, that they had power and control of it. For example, when Pilate sealed the tomb. He said, put my signet or put my seal on it to show that no one is to interfere with this tomb and to open it. It also signifies authenticity, so that when the package is received, and they would have understood this in Ephesus because Ephesus was a big shipping center. And they would send uh, boats out from Ephesus across the Aegean Sea to the various Grecian cities. And when those packages would arrive, it was a symbol of authenticity because they would look at the seal and they would know. This package belongs to this person. Well, likewise, we, when we become believers in Christ, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, indicating ownership, that God is our owner. He possesses us. He is also our protector. And finally, seals signify a completed transaction. In other words, it's going from one place to another with surety which essentially is what is said in verse 14. Who, that is the Holy Spirit, is the guarantee or the earnest for our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So essentially the Holy Spirit's indwelling of you and of me is a down payment on what God says we have in store for us. The total fullness of the Spirit, the blessing when we are face to face and we no longer see through a mirror dimly. That's the promise. It's the same word, even in current Greek, that is used to signify an engagement ring. If you were to go to to Greece today and were to use this word, they would understand that by it you meant a a husband betrothing himself to a a wife. It was an engagement ring. It was a promise, something of value that was given to ensure that there will be a full completion of the transaction. So the Holy Spirit is our guarantee. He is our promise that God is going to fulfill the work that he has begun in each of us. So incredible blessings, incredible riches that Paul talks about here. And this is not an exhaustive list, but it is certainly uh, a primary list. And as Paul talks about these things, he's really sort of overcome. And the last half of chapter 1, he begins a prayer For the Ephesians. And it's an interesting prayer. It's powerful. If you read through it, Uh, I've often used this in prayer for other people, but it's a powerful prayer for the Ephesians. And it's interesting because Paul is not praying for the Ephesians here, as as we'll see when we go through the prayer, out of a sense of need. You know, I I, I do the the prayer, email prayer uh, mail for the church here. And most of the prayer requests that come through, understandably, are prayer requests for people in need. They have circumstances, situations that are uh, difficult, sometimes even dire, and they are asking prayer. Very rarely have I gotten a prayer request for someone who's just doing great in the Lord, on fire, and just asking for prayer for that person. And that's sort of understandable. That's sort of not where our minds go. But it's interesting that here Paul is praying for the Ephesians, and you'll see he's praying for them from their position of strength. So I'm just going to read through this prayer beginning in verse 15. Therefore I also after after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling. And what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power, might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all so Paul is praying that even though he has heard of their faith and their love for the saints he continues to pray for them that they would grow even more in their understanding of God and in the revelation of the knowledge of him that their eyes the eyes of their hearts would be enlightened and they would know the hope of his calling And interestingly, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance? Now, this is not our inheritance, but rather his inheritance in the saints. That is in each and every person here this morning. You are an inheritance or a part of the inheritance for Christ. And to me, that's pretty incredible. So here we have something that I think each of us can walk away from this morning and really begin to contemplate. That is, how much God loves you, what he has done and purposed from before the foundation of the world for you, and the outcome of what he intends your life to look like, that you would be presented before him wholly and without blame. The next time Satan tries to deceive you, the next time he gets into your brain and says you're a failure, you've fallen, you've blown it one too many times, Remember this. Say, no way, Satan. I'm a child of the God, adopted into his family. I'm a full possessor of all of his blessings and every ounce of the inheritance that he has for me. We're going to sing a hymn now, Majesty. So if you would stand up and join with. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ here at Community Church of Gunnison, and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you and make mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, and that you may know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And that you may know what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward you who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. May God richly bless each and every one of you and may you go forth in the power and the grace of his name.